Welcome to the Ill Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teen. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O Shift for Teens, as well as the O Shift for Teens curriculum and the O Shift for Teens workshop kit, which is being used by facilitators everywhere. Head to OShift.com and join the growing movement of shift heads all across the world. Well, what's it like to be a teen? It's been a while for most of us, and a lot of us block that part of our lives completely out because, well, it was that bad. Um, It wasn't that bad for me, but there are parts of it which I look back at with shame, quite honestly. And so for us to be able to relate with the teens that we work with or our own children, sometimes it's tough to do when we've got that big blocked out portion of our memory. One thing that I like to do every once in a while is to go lay down on my son's bed. I just lay there looking up at the ceiling thinking, what's it like to be him? What's it like in his world? It's an interesting exercise because once I start thinking about it, I realize these kids have a lot on their plates. They got a lot they're dealing with. And depending on where you are and whatever part of the country, you know what I'm talking about. These kids are expected to know more than they used to academically. Um, They've got a lot of inputs going into their head via the virtual world. And they've got some of the same old pressures that we had back then. Uh, Not necessarily that easy. And the reason that I suggest maybe doing this yourself is because, well, I believe in understanding with kids. Now, that doesn't mean they get a free pass for everything they do. But it certainly helps us on those times when we get super frustrated with them to be able to sort of understand what it might be like in their world. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest is Bob McNeil. She's a Northwesterner like myself. I thought we'd take a break from our East Coast guests and get Bob on the show. You're going to like what Bob has to say. We had a wonderful conversation just a little while ago about vulnerability with our teens. I know you're going to love it. So sit back, relax, have some popcorn if you want, and enjoy the show. My guest today is Bob McNeil. Bob McNeil is a certified professional coach, as well as a skilled speaker and facilitator who spent the last 21 years helping young people reach their potential. Bob spends lots of time traveling, serving both mainstream kids and those in marginalized communities throughout the United States and Canada. And I can add that Bob is one of the most passionate people I know when it comes to helping young people make shifts in their lives. Bob McNeil, how are you doing? I am so good, Mark. I'm happy to be here. Well, I know that uh, you stay super busy traveling, and this week I was like, I, I had contacted Bob and said, uh, hey, could we you know, get this interview under wraps? And she's like, I have like five minutes on Friday to do that, so I'll take it. I'll take it whenever I can. You're, you're welcome. I'm calling. I'm, right now I'm in Victoria, Canada, so this is an international call. Oh, my God. You're probably in a, the bathroom of an airport or something. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. Uh, hotel of uh, the Comfort Inn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time, Bob. And uh, 
Now, each week I, uh, I throw a, a list of potential topics to my guests. And, um, Bob, you picked a, uh, a topic that really is close to my heart. Um, you, you, the topic is, should we be vulnerable with teens? And what, what was it about that topic that uh, stuck out for you? Well, I spend so much time working with adults who work with teens, and it takes a lot of convincing and practicing to get these people, these adults, to realize that they don't have to be an expert to help lead someone or coach someone or mentor someone. So I felt like, uh, you know, my immediate response is, yeah, we should be vulnerable with teens. Like, you don't have to be the perfect person to help out a kid. You don't have to be a perfect person to, like, step into a relationship or a conversation with someone to help them out or to, like, help them get unstuck for a minute. And yes. sometimes it it helps that. Like, just being vulnerable and being there with someone, it's like you're a real human. You know, it's interesting, and because and I found I found the same thing with adults, parents as well. And uh, mm-hmm. there's some there's something about it that makes us want to be experts with kids. It's like, and I can remember as a teacher, if, if a kid asked me something, even in my social studies class, <laughs> that I had no idea. I'm like, oh, I got I just got to make this this up really fast because I can't not have the answer. What is it about <laughs> us that as, as adults, why why do we feel like we need to have the answer with kids? I don't know. I don't have that. I, I mean, I seriously, I'm like, I don't know. I, you don't I, have that. You, that's not a thing for yeah. you. No, not at all. Even with, you know, when I'm hired to be the expert in the room and someone asks, asks a question, I'm just like, that is such a great question. Like, let's figure this out together. Right. I, right. I have, I feel like it's the, like, if I can be the person that lets a kid know, like, oh, yeah. You don't, you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not, and you don't have to pretend to know. Because these kids go through every system having to be, like, prove that they're good enough or smart enough or that they know. I mean, they, like, have to pass knowledge on it. They have to prove that they paid attention in class to, like, get a particular grade. Like, they're constantly having to prove themselves everywhere they go. And I, I just feel like, it, like, when you turn 18, that doesn't stop. So if you can actually just try and be present in the moment and be okay with not knowing but being willing to figure it out, that's a much more real place to be. There there, there must be something that keeps adults from doing that. I'll never forget uh, when Jen and I were preparing to write OSHA for Teens, we had a focus group of some of my leadership students, and we were talking. I'll never forget this red-haired kid, a, a really very energetic kid, um, would talk to anybody, and we were talking about this idea of communication, and uh, he said to me, Mr. Tucker, I feel like I can communicate to anybody in the world. And it was true. I mean, this is a really bold, outgoing yeah. kid. He said, except for my dad. He says, my dad yeah. is always got to be right. Whenever we have a conversation, my dad always has to be right. And I realized, I actually uh, did a poll with my students the next day. How many of you feel like your parents always have to be right? Virtually every kid raised their hand. Yeah. So there's, there's, okay. something of, there's something about our credibility that we feel like if we admit that we have made mistakes, if we admit that we don't have the answer, uh, then our, it's like a referee, you know. Once, once you admit yeah. you made a mistake, they're going to question every call. Well, it's kind of like it's you just you just hit it right there. It's this 
power dynamic. It's an authority. Like, I feel like so many people, parents especially, get to a point where uh, the kids stop just doing what you say because you say, you know? Right. I don't know a parent who has not said because I said so. And (laughs) usually that happens after you've tried every other, you know, every other trick you have in the book to get a kid to do something. And when they still haven't done it, then we revert back to because I said so. And at the very least, it's because I'm your parent. And the reality is, is, is like, that's fine if that's the, the rule in your house. But I try to help people uh, lead with skill and not authority. If you're constantly relying on your authority to lead, and I don't care if it's a parent, a teacher, in any anything, any kind of system where you are the authority, if you're relying on your authority to motivate a kid, at some point it is not going to work. And so for me, it's a it's definitely a power dynamic when we can show up and and be very real and honest about what it means to be human. Then we can, I mean, you can take, you know, I can lead twenty people with my authority, or like fifty million people with my authenticity and my um, my vulnerability, my reality. Like, I don't know the answer, but with all of us, we can figure this out. Man, I love that. I, I, and you make me think of, like, the military. I mean, in the military situation, yeah. I want to be able to tell you, and I don't, want, I don't want a conversation. You need to go charge the bunker or whatever. Uh, yeah. But we're not going to have a conversation of why command has come up with that decision. However, and and I think a lot of parents and adults that are working with teens would like it to be that way because wouldn't it be easier? Because, you know, when when my son asks me why about a decision, and I just had, this just happened. I had to tell him why he couldn't do something that he really wanted to do. His question to me was why? And honestly, I'm like, "Uh, ah, crap. You know, I I don't, I'm not sure if I'm crystal clear on why. And now I've got to articulate (laughs) it in a way that's really going to sound like I'm not just pulling it out of my butt, you know? And so so it's a lot more work to have to, um, I think sometimes be vulnerable in that way where you're like, this is what's going on. This is why it it, it just takes a lot more time. Well, and I think too, it feels uncomfortable. Like, especially like when, okay, your kid asks you why they can't do something and all the logical reasoning that you have doesn't feel like it's enough to convince your kid why, but you have like a a gut feeling, like something tells me that you need to be home tonight or something tells me that it's not a good idea and here are the reasons. And then you have to actually get into a conversation of with your kid about trusting your instincts and how much love you have for this person. So you have learned over the last 15 years to trust your instincts. Like then you start getting into a conversation about what does it mean to love and care for someone. And that's something that we don't have with our kids. We don't talk. We, I mean, I think I'm guessing that you're probably tell your kids you love them a lot. I don't think a lot of people do that. And there's probably a lot of positive physical touch in your family. I don't think a lot of people touch their kids, you know, unless it's, you know, they're hitting them, <laughs> you know, right. whatever it is. Yeah. It's like a, it's not a positive touch. So if you are used to having healthy conversations with your kid, um, then you might be able to manage that discomfort a little bit more when it gets to that part where it's like, oh, crap. Now I now it gets to be the vulnerable part. Is this the part where I say, I'm really uncomfortable with your best friend 
family or I'm real like how that's the part that we as a, as adults or we as people in positions of power have to manage like that's our own vulnerability man I, I, I love I love something that you said and, and um, it really ha- it, a lot of it goes to the intention that we have with kids and um, mm-hmm. you talked about having that loving intention towards kids unfortunately I think a lot of our listeners have that because if they didn't they yeah. probably wouldn't be spending the time to see how they could be better <laughs> Listen, yeah better at it um, however I do think there's a lot of people out there dealing with teens that that are making decisions for the teens that aren't necessarily based on the best interest or the love of the teens themselves and I can tell yeah. you with my my own dad or and I know uh, other adults that sometimes that their own unhappiness keeps them from wanting other people in their lives to be happy. You ever met a person like that where you're like, oh, my God, things are really kicking butt. It's so good. And they're just like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to. I mean, they, they just go yeah. and like, move on. Because, and, and so I think what happens sometimes, literally, it's, as sad as this sounds, I think that some people, who is the easiest person that they control? It's their kids. And it's like, if I'm not happy, you're not going to be happy. Um, so I think that, you know, if you happen to be listening to this show, and, and, and this also means sort of uh, analyzing your own motivations. What is motivating yeah. you to make the decisions uh, that's, uh, you know, affecting your kids? My guess is that, mo- like I said, most of our listeners have pure intentions. If that's the case, I don't think a kid's going to mind hearing, hey, listen, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm not exactly even sure why it's a gut but know that I will always make decisions based on your best interest. I love you. I yeah. want the best thing for you. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think sometimes too, I think parent. It's I think when I think it's easy to justify decisions that we've made after the fact when we benefit from them, as opposed to knowing why we're making that decision in the moment. So just really that idea of thinking about what's your motivation here. And just as you're talking, I can I can picture at least a dozen kids this last spring that had to make a decision, their first generation, accepted into a college, you know, all of these youth workers and school systems kind of helped them get into a university. And when it was time to go, they're already in, they've signed the papers, They it's time for them to get on a plane or get on a bus or have a family member drive them to school, they did not go. And most of them were convinced to stay by their family. They're the oldest kid who's going to take care of the siblings. They could get a job. That money can support the mortgage or the rent payment. And there's this responsibility that is placed on kids. And it's like, that's not in the best interest of the kid. Let the kid get out. Like, let, like, they need to get out. And it's just this, but what about me? You know, I might be a parent who has some mental health issues or like the kid is the only one who knows our family secrets and I can't ask for help outside (laughs) of that. And so this kid has to now be the, the support. And it's just that really of like, wow, check your motivation what is in the best interest of the kid to reach their potential? And that's the part that I think, you, you know, the question is, should we be vulnerable with teens? And I feel like we uh, we need to figure out when do we get uncomfortable recognizing the vulnerability with ourselves and manage that discomfort. Because if we're just uncomfortable being just when we have those thoughts come up, it's not going to show up when the kid's in the room. 
and just we have to be aware of that. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about this idea of you know vulnerability. Okay, so so now we, we've decided that we that we are able to be vulnerable with our kids, and, yeah. and there's actually a reason that we might want to do this. Still, the question now is, how vulnerable am I going to yeah. be? I mean, I you know, should I tell my kids that I smoked pot when I was their age? Should I tell my kids that you know, I mean, what 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 is my criteria for sharing? Uh, yeah. Those things with them, because I think that also that we're afraid. Like if I said to my son, um, and I know that I know that alcohol and drugs are always going to be potential for for him. Um, right. And and I I didn't smoke pot when I was thirteen, but but I but I got drunk when I was twelve. And is that information that he needs? Does that now uh, give a, a a rubber stamp to say? You can drink too. It's you know I I I think parents are afraid that if we reveal how really truly bad we were, you know it, it gives yeah. them the green light to go do it too. Because hey, mom did it, dad did it. Uh, yeah, they're okay. I I feel like that's like I don't feel like kids do that unless they need to prove a point <laughs> that they're the same or equal. And so if you have this power imbalance, they're going to use that to prove a point that they're like, that they're like you, but they actually don't want to be like you. They want to be the opposite of you. (laughs) So that argument doesn't really work. Not your kids. Every kid wants to be like you, Mark. (laughs) But I think, um, I think it is, to me, I have to think about what's the, like, what's the lesson to be learned from the story? What's the point? What's the purpose? Is it to help teach a lesson of what to avoid, or is it to help show you how cool you are? Like, yeah, right. I'm one of the cool kids. Like, that's not going to help. But if you were, if you thought, wow, that decision I made then actually had all of these negative impacts, and if I could, if I had the ability to go back and do it again, I wouldn't do it. Like, we learn a lot through stories and through lessons of other people. So if we can figure out how to present it in a way that it's actually a learned lesson, I feel like that's a good thing. If it's just to, like, share, like, I did that, like, I did that, then that's not cool. And that that doesn't, I mean, not to be, you have to be cool, but it's not telling the story the way that you need it needs to be told. I feel like you have to share all the info. I think you have to be careful. What's the purpose? What's the point? What's the outcome you're looking for? I, I really love that, and I agree with that 100%. You know, I feel like... In that fear place where we say we can't talk to our kids about what really happened, um, I can't even mention that I ever even thought about drinking alcohol, right? And so it's what it what it yeah. does. And so, so now my kid, I say, you better never drink alcohol, right? Right. It's sort of ignoring the fact that probably ninety percent, and that's not a real statistic, but probably ninety percent of kids do, and the likelihood that my son, my sons will drink alcohol at some time in their high school career is pretty high. What I've yeah. done is what I've done is I've, I've I've just cut myself out of that conversation. So when it does yeah. happen, I am the last person that my son is going to go to if he needs a ride, if he's in a scary yep. situation. He's certainly not going to call me because I'm t- I told him I'm going right. to you know kick his butt if I ever find out. Well, that's not realistic. Yeah. So Yeah, I think you have to normalize the experience because most kids, I think still most adults, uh, they want to they do good. They want to be their best selves in every situation. So let's help them figure out what to do when they get in a situation. And I also think no, nobody feels normal. 
So if you can help paint the picture of what they might experience and what might those scenarios look like, then they can help make those decisions there. And they can also know that they're normal. Like that's the, that's the part I think it's hilarious. Like what people try and keep as a secret. I was a, you know, I was like a tomboy since the moment I popped out of the womb. And I think my parents, like, I think I honestly feel like they had conversations my entire life of like, oh, I hope she doesn't figure out she's gay. And yeah. I ne- I didn't until I was outside the house. I was 19 years old. And I remember I my mom used to let me read some of her journals. And there was one journal that she would never let me read. And one day she was having like a Tupperware or an Avon party or something. And I found it <laughs> and I read it. And she had a story in there about how um, like someone in a locker room like kissed her. And then it was like this, this girl. And so it was like this three pages of her talking about how everyone has a lesbian experience. Well, I was like, I think I was like eight or nine years old when I read that. And I thought in my head, everyone has a lesbian experience. And I just, that was just something that I had forever. I was so scared of locker rooms through all of junior high. It was like paranoia. I never realized I was a big lesbian until I was getting kissed for the first time by a girl. (laughs) I'm now 19 years old. And I thought in my mind, everyone has a lesbian. (laughs) It was like this thing. And I just, I thought, wow, you know, I wish that that could have been a very real conversation about normalizing, normalizing something like my junior high locker room would have been different. My first kiss would have been different, you know, just normalize something. I think you just nailed it on the head and and I could see, I, I can understand the thinking that your mom had, the thinking that many of us had, you know, people that are dealing with teens. If I say it, I'm going to be the one to push my child or (laughs) this child into doing it. And that's just not the case. What what is the case is they realize that if they get in that situation, here's what they might be expecting. This is what they can look out for. This is how they can do it safely and wisely um, instead of all alone and experiencing that with all the yep. fears and, and irrationality and, you know, it, it becomes a lot yeah. safer situation. Yeah. And I know the motivation behind most things parents do is protection and, and fear. And I just feel like then that's the conversation you have with your kid. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be a secret. That's the conversation you have with your partner. That's the conversation you have with your other friends to say, like, I'm really nervous. My kid wants to do this or wants to talk about this. I don't know how to, like, we just, as adults, we don't talk about, it. we don't talk about what we're afraid to do. And when we do, it helps us get more comfortable saying these words out loud and processing out loud. So we can show up in the conversation with some sort of experience or expertise or vulnerability that the kids still trust us. I remember being a kid and just, you know, there are five adults in my life that were not in my house that I was so appreciative. And most of them were church leaders. I would ditch school and I'd go to their house and, and, and I wasn't in trouble or shamed. I was welcomed and we would have real conversations and I just felt like they were human and they treated me like human. And I I felt seen and I felt heard and I, I felt like they got me. And it wasn't because they placated me or, or talked to me like a like I didn't know or like I, I wouldn't know yet or I won't understand that until later. Like it was like, no, you're human. We're sharing this moment, this experience together. Let's be in this space and communicate. And I just feel like if that's if we if more people could do that with young people, if they could feel like 
they're just a human and be in conversation with people with some real honesty. Um, I think the, I think kids would have a much easier time moving into young adulthood. And I think a lot more adults would be a lot more comfortable around young people. Yeah, and it feels like, because you had five, my goodness, I, I think there's a lot of people listening who would look back and say, God, I don't know if I even had, I mean, some of us, one or two, um, mm-hmm. to, ha- to have that, it, it, yeah, those key people, those adults, especially adults, right, that just that came yeah. along at the right time. Um, I can uh, I can remember this um, when I was I was really enmeshed in the uh, uh, sort of that Christian culture. My mom was, and so I was, and I can remember I was probably thirteen year old, thir- thirteen years old, and I went to like Christian camp, and mm-hmm. there was a counselor there that I ju- he was funny, he was cool, and he talked about masturbating, right? And I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. I felt by then I was already, you know, doing that, not to get too graphic there, but, you know, yeah. because that's what li- that's what 13-year-old boys do. If you don't think yeah. that's what 13-year-old boys are doing, you are like your head's in the sand. And yeah. I felt like this giant monster. I felt really ashamed yeah. of myself, but I have this biological urge pushing me. This guy made me he talked about it and he talked about his own him doing it wasn't like he wasn't doing to to Beyond his way, he was, he was doing it for the purpose of of normalizing it. I, I can't tell you how important that man was to me at that moment in, yeah. in my life. So he would be one of those people that I would say that, oh, my God, just to take away that shame and that guilt yeah. for, for, because I was doing something that I, I was going to do uh, no matter, despite <laughs> Right. The, you know. Yeah. It's so true. I think that's just a huge piece is. Um, and I think for, I think, you know, I know you have a lot of parents who are listening and I just feel like it's so important for kids to be able to have someone else who's not the parent, who's kind of helping, who they can hear the things that the parents are saying, but they don't hear it from the parents. So like, I mean, I can say the same thing 40 million times to my youngest sister. I feel like I'm the coolest person in the world and that I should be her hero. <laughs> so, but I'm just like the annoying, you know, person who's always trying to like help her be her best self. Like she yeah. can't hear it from me, but as soon as she hears it from, you know, my spouse who she, who she really thinks is the coolest human in the whole world, she's like, oh, I get it. And I'm just yeah. like, what? You know, but it's like, man, I, I'm so happy that I am with the coolest person in the world so my sister can hear it. Like, as a parent, if you can, if you can, um, you know, if your kid's in some kind of, some kind of out-of-school program or, you know, church program, if there are other adults in, the, in their lives, like, somehow get comfortable with them having some of these very real conversations and be open to hearing from those other adults. I know my parents had no clue the conversations I was having with other people, and it just added to the the part that I felt like my parents didn't really know me or get me. And so, you know, it's even if, if you just want to know, like, hey, if anything comes up, let me know, or ask them, how do I talk to my kid about them? They seem to really like you. Like you can right. process stuff with other important people in your kid's lives. I just it, think that's important. It's so true. A, a coach, just some sort of, uh, some other adult, a teacher sometimes, uh, I think mm-hmm. we can think of those people that, that we had in our own lives. But yeah, I, I don't have all the answers. And not only that, 
even if I did, like you said, uh, my boys at some point are going to be like, you know, I need to hear that from somebody else. I know you love yeah. me and you're going to say like cheesy stuff to me. So I need to, yeah. it needs to be more authentic than that, you know, so I need to hear it from somebody else. Bob McNeil, um, yeah. so wonderful to have this conversation with you. I, I This is something that I, I really love talking about and I love 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 your perspective on it it sounds like something that's really dear to your heart as well yeah any anything to help a kid feel seen and heard and feel like they actually get to have a voice in the conversation that's what I'm passionate about I wish that young people had a lot more voice and and ownership in their own experience than they do. So I'm so excited that you're doing this and that you're, you know, having these kinds of conversations. I hope that people can really um, learn from them and just ask questions and try some of this stuff out with, with kids. You know, Bobby, it's, cool the, it's, it's the most fun thing that I do. It's the thing that I'm most excited about now. I get to, I get to hear from people like yourselves and, and people all over the country who are doing amazing things. And eventually, I assume I'm going to get smart. You know, that's the plan. Well, Bob, is there any uh, reason that, uh, that you want to let people know uh, how to find out more about you? Is that something that's of interest to you where they would look you up? For the, for the best stuff in terms of my opinions and the work I do with young people, um, I have a buddy that we put some pretty funny stuff out, and we call it Shifting Norms. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash Shifting Norms, you'll find a bunch of stuff. And it's also filled with um, the fans and the people who are on that page or people who work with youth. And oftentimes they'll post questions and just random stuff for how to work with young people. But a lot of stuff we do is just building our own leadership skills as adults so that we can show up as our best selves when young people are in the room. So, you know, find me at Shifting Norms. That's like the Twitter stuff is at Shifting Norms too. And then anywhere else you can find me um, at Gender Bender Bob. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And listeners, uh, do it. I mean, if you want somebody who really cares about kids in your corner, uh, find find Bob McNeil and um, make make her your at least Facebook friend. Bob, it's so great to talk to you. I love the work that you're doing. I love your energy. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, right back at you, Mark. Thanks for doing this. You bet. Talk to you soon. That, of course, was the interview I did with my good friend Bob McNeil up in Washington State. Uh, you could see why I'm such a fan of Bob, uh, her energy, her passion, and the really amazing insights that she has on a topic that I really love. This is, a, this is one that uh, means a lot to me because I think that so many people could stand to uh, open up a little bit with their kids to take a chance and become more vulnerable uh, the find new areas of connection when you do. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen, if you're thinking about becoming an O-Shift facilitator, now's the time to go check it out. You can head over to O-Shift.com. Uh, go to the uh, Become a Facilitator tab and find out the different ways that you can bring O-Shift to the teens or the adults that you are around. So many people out there are facilitating these amazing workshops, and you can as well. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. I'm sure that you have. We got another great one coming up next week where we get back to the East Coast. Uh, Crystal Rizzo, who's a life coach out in Brooklyn, will be joining me to talk about communication with our teens. I know you'll be there for it, and I look forward to being there with you. All right, we will see you again next week.